Hi, welcome to an extended episode of Not Another Marketing Podcast, where I'm talking to Eric Newton, the Vice President of Marketing at MilestoneInternet.com. Now, we're going to be talking about the current state of Google search and SEO, plus looking into the future. Thanks for downloading. Now, Google search results have been changing a lot recently. They they look differently now to how they did like five years ago, an awful lot. Uh, Google's focus now is on website user experience. And Google are, are guiding us a lot more on how they want our websites to behave. There's also a big increase in zero-click searches where Google just gives us the answer. In this episode, I'm talking to Eric Newton, the Vice President of Marketing at MilestoneInternet.com, who shares his thoughts on the current state of Google search and SEO. We talk zero clicks, website speed, and what Google seems to want from us. Plus, there's lots of chat about the future. Now, you can find Eric at MilestoneInternet.com, also on LinkedIn as well. Uh, Milestone is hosting its annual Engage conference on September the 14th and 15th. That's 2021, depending on when you're listening to this episode. Um, It's a virtual digital marketing summit for online marketers. There's links in the show notes. You can also find Eric's book as well, which is called Hack the Corporate Fast Track on Amazon. Again, links in the show notes. Can I quickly mention that Not Another Marketing Podcast is totally ad-free. I'd love it if you could give the pod a quick shout on social media. Subscribe via your favourite podcast app. Check out more podcasts at jtid.co.uk forward slash podcasts. Right, let's let's get on with it. Uh, The first thing I asked Eric was if he thinks Google search is meeting people's needs, do they still have a way to go? Yeah, I think Google has developed a search formula and they are satisfying the audience to a large degree. And so much so that uh, they are now defining the market. They're defining Mm. what's next in the market. So let let me be more explicit. So when you search on Google, you're almost always able to find what you're looking for on the first page, sometimes onto the second page. But what Google is more concerned about now is... Well, in in addition to giving the right answer, the most relevant and helpful answer, they are concerned about their users that they're referring to you having a good experience on your website, meaning that your pages load fast, that it's easy to get around, that it makes sense. Those kind of taxonomy issues, those structural issues, those performance issues are relevant to Google as a secondary set of criteria beyond just giving the right answer. So if you think about this as a podcaster or as a speaker on a podcast, we're going to be making some suggestions and recommendations to people, and we want those to be good recommendations. We're not going to recommend things that we don't believe in because we don't want we want to be credible. We want to have uh, our authority that when people listen to us that they get uh, useful advice and that they have a good experience if they go to that company or go to that product. Google sees it the same way and that they are shaping that experience beyond search. So that's, that's sort of the burden of a market maker in the same way that Microsoft carries that burden on email security, for example. Yeah, sure. I, the, the thing which always, which always comes to my mind is what if I don't want my website to work like Google want my website to work? And I think to myself, well, you know. I, I still want Google to give me a bit of business. It's kind of like that thing, what, what right has Google got to say you've got to build your website how we want you to? 
Yeah, that's that's a fair concern, except that Google is aligning itself to what the users want, to what a good experience is. It's not just arbitrarily uh, and whimsically designing an experience. It knows what, what people are using when they're not bouncing back. So what Google is forcing you to do is have a good website. It's not forcing you to have a Google website. I understand yeah. a desire for independence and a desire to do the things you want to do, but hmm. Google is guiding you to do things that are going to be better for the user experience and therefore better for conversion. Yeah, do you think we get a little bit confused about all of this? Because as soon as people, as soon as Google say, we want fast websites, then the whole industry just goes absolutely mad about trying to shave off a tenth of a second of a page load speed, don't they? Um, do we need to put a lot of these things into, in, in, you know, into context, really? And well, um, by into context, do you mean uh, like how important are they to my users? Yeah, like is, am, I, am I in a niche? Exactly. I mean, if I'm the local accountant in a small town in the United Kingdom, for example, my website genuinely doesn't need to be faster than Amazon. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Um, I think Google is giving you good, good sound advice about your user experience and mm. that uh, speed and usability and navigability are, are good for your users. And when you said that people are overreacting to it, um, I think they overreacted to the things that are easy to do, like yeah. Uh, yeah. like what we used to what we called black hat techniques or gray hat techniques. That if you could figure out a way to get backlinks from, say, doing a press release 15 years ago, yeah. that people would do that because it was fairly easy. But making your website really, really fast is kind of hard. Sure. And um, what Milestone Inc. has found is that. Uh, though everybody's aware of core web vitals that only 21% of websites and web pages are um, are having good URLs or having a good core web vitals optimized experience. What that means is that 80% of the websites are still kind of slow. So, so, so there's, a, there's, an, there's a leading edge of people who react to what Google is recommending on time or ahead. And then there's the middle and the lagging uh, sites that, that figure it out. Uh, essentially after the penalty of or the the lack of an advantage from not doing what google wants uh sets in and you feel like uh, your competitors are picking up more traffic than you yeah we'll talk about content a little bit later because i want to dig into it a little bit more but uh what is what i the privacy and tracking front as well because uh things are getting a little bit creepier i, I think more people are re realizing things are getting a little bit creepier and there's a lot more tracking going on. Do you think there's going to be a pushback and this will, will be a problem for, for Google? I think the ability of the um, industry to innovate in order to do retargeting is always going to be ahead of the ability to regulate it or react to it. Hmm. So there there's a an emotional reaction to uh, tracking and their, you know, and then Google as market maker is going to be eliminating third party cookies in, say, you know, 2022, 2023, yeah. late 22, early 23, that they'll make it harder for people who are kind of um, on the journey of uh, a third party network in your advertising stream of clicks and so forth for them to pick up and store information or to read information from the cookie because they, they realize that people would prefer not to uh, not to be tracked that much. But on a first party basis, Google runs a giant first party network, as does Facebook and as does Apple. And and those that information is still going to be stored and available. And 
um, the companies are going to innovate. As you take away the cookie, the companies are going to fingerprint in a different way, and they're going to collect information that they can use to what they would say enhance your experience. Do you think a lot of this is down to what they actually use the data for and how long they keep the data for? Do you think they need to be a little bit more transparent about this? Well, transparency is is beneficial to users. Giving giving people some control and some choice is is really fair and letting mm. people opt out or letting cookie, you know, letting information and data expire, letting things come off the internet so that that things don't remain in memory and digital memory forever. So I think that that is beneficial to the audience. And I think there will be more of that, but the innovation to stay ahead of whatever that kind of um, curbing and boundaries are will exceed whatever whatever that motion is, like say um, the you know le- legislation to legislate that. Legislators are always years behind yeah, um, tech yeah. companies. Yeah, sure. The, the reason I ask the question is that is that a lot of this data, a lot of the tracking, a lot of the stuff they store, to me, sometimes seems pretty useless. But for example, if I if I walk from my office desk to the bathroom and I've got my phone in my pocket, Google's tracking me walking and it's storing that data, that tracking data in a big cloud somewhere. It, it, that's that's worthless. And they will probably store that forever. Did do, do you understand what I mean? A lot of this is kind of pointless data. Well, I would agree that uh, storing things that have no commercial value, that have no experiential value is not beneficial. And mm. I, as a user or as a as somebody in the industry, would prefer that they not do that. Um, you know, you, you hear some stories that Facebook is keeping information about every friend we've ever had, every, you know, relationship we've ever had, and that it's, they've finally given you the ability to download all the relationships that have ever been stored in that social graph and allow you to uh, remove some of them. But it's... Yeah, because I mean, I I suppose Facebook are still keeping this data even after you've passed away. Yeah, they are. Yeah, that's that's absolutely true. Uh, And it's like, well, what's the point of this? Well... Uh, I mean, part of it's data for data's sake, but if yeah. somebody can build an algorithm or write a regression model that uh, shows uh, some some indicators uh, are indicative of upcoming behavior, then they might be able to monetize it. And that's what they built their business model on is monetizing your behavior and your personal information. That's that's how they've gotten yeah. big. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and that's why it's all free. Obviously, <laughs> that to, is, to us. that yeah. is. You get, you get. Uh, you know, we, in the old days, we used to pay money to speak to our friends and relatives around the world, right? Yeah, we didn't sure. have WhatsApp, and we used the telephone at a, a buck or two dollars a minute. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, do you think Google needs regulating? The reason I say say that is 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 because StatCounter. I did some did some research on StatCounter, right? So. In July 2021, Google has a 91% share, search share in the USA, 88% in, in the UK. Sorry, uh, 91% overall worldwide. USA was 88%. UK was 93%. We love Google here in the UK, apparently. Mm, um, looks d- like it. Do you think there needs to be some kind of regulation? Because we all get our information from the same place, and we have to be sure that information's right, don't we? Yeah, I, I, you know, I'm not pro-regulation because the government is slower and behind the companies. They don't understand the industries as well as the people who make the industries. So competition is good for the competitors and it's good for the market and it's good for the consumers. So I'm pro-competition generally. 
and I would like to see Google have more competition. You know, you get into these concentration rates. I mean, ninety three percent. You're up to like the De Beers concentration rate of uh, yeah. of the diamond market. Yeah. Um, and what happens to companies that become dominant is they really have to drive themselves to um, to develop the market, to uh, improve the market because their competition isn't significant enough to put pressure on them. So it's a benefit to them as well if the markets, you know, maybe goes up to 60% uh, for the top top share and then the rest of the market's divided up between a couple of followers. That creates space for the market to um, develop and grow and uh, innovate. And it's good for, it's really good for everybody. But the government regulation usually has unintended consequences. If you sure. go back and think about what the government did with uh, mobile bandwidth. So the government says, well, these, this spectrum is something we own and we, we regulate these these airwaves here in the U.S. or in the U.K. Yeah. And then they had auctions all over the country in the United States where you could buy bandwidth. And this is, you know, this is sort of the government being involved in a in a public market. And uh, people ended up buying bandwidth for a million dollars for, let's say, uh, you know, an outlying state, not not maybe the biggest city or the biggest state. And then they just resell it for a hundred million dollars a year or two later. Yeah. So what that did was it, it took ninety nine million dollars from the public from the public um, coffer because the government ran an auction that was somewhat ineffective. Right. It was somewhat underpopulated by bidders. Just an example of the government, you know, being somewhat inefficient in its uh, its abilities to to get involved. Do, do you, I mean, it can't be healthy just for, for most folks' information to come from one place, though, can it? Well, yeah, the information in Google, the, the information is still coming from you, but Google is curating it, right? Google is yeah. giving access to the top 10, 20, 30 results. And what we see uh, here at Milestone is that Google is, um, Google and the search in general is making... 69% of all the traffic that comes to a local business is coming via Google Local or Google Search. So sure. it's tremendously influential, but it's also an awesome opportunity for businesses because um, most of the traffic that comes from Google is free, right? Most of it is organic. And there's no other industry that's giving that much value to businesses for free. Let's say Google is doing half of its business, uh, half, half, half of the traffic is coming over free. And Google is a, you know, uh, an $80 billion, $90 billion search company. Well, then that means they're giving away 80 or $90 billion of traffic to the market. And that's a tremendous benefit to a, a website and a company that, uh, that does the right things and, and gets position and gets advantage over its local competition or national competition. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, I mean, I did do a, I, I found a search and I wish I'd, I wish I'd have written this search down. I, I can't remember what it was, but I did it a couple of months ago and there were two organic listings on the page. That was it. Oh, uh, yeah, that's yeah. A, yeah. Every once in a while, you do see that uh, the underpopulated listing is very, very refreshing, right? When there's just a few there. And, and I thought to myself then, I thought, wow, this is crazy days. So, so basically, you know, the only way now is to pay. It's, it's well, to, you said there yeah. was only two listings on the page, but were, was were, well, were, was one of them organic? Uh, no, the, the the two listings were there were only two organic listings, um, traditional 
organic listings. Everything else was adverts, then a load yeah, of kind of like one-click, zero-click answers, which we'll talk about in a bit. Um, sure. uh, and there was there was there wasn't a lot of choice, to be quite honest with you, which is which is the worrying worrying thing about it. Yeah, and that and and you, you give a, a, an interesting example there, John. I think when as a consumer, when you see that eighty percent of the page is now commercialized. Yeah. Your comfort and your your trust of this source is starting to go down and now you'll start sure. to think about maybe a vertical search engine or another place to get the information. So that's the the golden goose that Google has to be sensitive to is that you know at, around half or a little more than half of the results should be organic and then they're going to monetize half. But when they go beyond that, people feel like their choices are being controlled by market forces instead of by logic and then by content match. How would you feel about Google being regulated as a publisher, particularly maybe in their information side of it and in, uh, and in the uh, news side of things, and maybe even YouTube and that, uh, that they have to stick to the same rules that other publishers stick to? Um, yeah, I mean, if we're talking about Google News, then I, I, you know, if you're a source of news for people, then I think you should be, you should have to deal with truth and veracity in the same way that other news outlets do. So yeah. Facebook, Facebook, Twitter, and, and that you can't just have misinformation, particularly, you know, regarding the global pandemic, there's people's lives are at stake. And I think Google has for many, many years done a good job of veracity and they've done a good job of suppressing some of the worst things you can find yeah. on what, you know, were something more like a forum, something more like Facebook. Sure. So do I think they should be regulated? Yeah, I think they, I think they should be held to um, a journalistic standard and I think they should make significant efforts to remove um, incorrect information. And I think Google has built some of that artificial intelligence to compare information posted by a smaller site like yours or mine uh, against the New York Times or against the Los Angeles Times, which are, you know, it's known, trusted, and it has scoring systems for, uh, for accuracy and trust. Yeah, I think if you'd have asked me 10 years ago, I'd have said no, but but now I'm I'm probably leaning towards the yes side of things. If you take the BBC, for example, the BBC have third parties making programmes for them on radio and television, and then right. they throw those TV programmes through the lawyers. Is this okay to broadcast? Yes, it is, and it goes out. And it's the same with Facebook and the same with Google. They have third parties creating content for them, but there's no check, is there? Oh. No, there's really only like a community, yeah. there's community flagging and they'll sometimes review things that have been have been flagged as, as possibly inappropriate, but they don't seem to have, uh, I, I think Google News more likely does than, uh, than yeah. Facebook, where sure. Google News is, is really publishing, they're syndicating news as, as, as Google, where Facebook says we're a neutral platform on which other people are expressing opinions, right? They're kind of getting away from a, a, a pure news moniker. Um, how do you think all of this affects our SEO, our search engine optimization? Are we now just literally building websites for Google the way they want it? I think, as I said earlier, that Google is aligning itself behind good user experience. So while Google is doing a good job of articulating the directions of how to build a good website for Google, that it's also doing a good job uh, with almost complete overlap of how to build a good website generally. So I don't think it is inordinately influencing the market to do something that it, it shouldn't be doing. I think the, the, the opportunity for people is to um, 
to follow Google and to get a good checklist and a good easy set of explanations on what 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 makes a good website, what is fast enough, what's the benchmark for for speed and usability. So I don't think I think in the black hat days, John, that people would find a technique and then somebody would understand it or publish it or talk about it at a trade show. And then people would go like, oh, I want to try yeah. this technique yeah. that essentially makes less excellent content more visible on Google. Sure. But Google's got thousands of people with PhDs working against that. And so many of the algorithm updates were built to thwart people who were promoting less good content over better content. And I think for the most part now, the, the content the content that appears on the first and second page is the, the best content it can find. And even more specifically, it understands the content within the content, a specific question and answer in a long tail query. Google can identify that and, and put it up in the listing and highlight it for you and show you this is this is what you're looking for. And it's it, you know, it's quite accurate and it's uh, it's machine learning and it's artificial intelligence have you know made great strides over the last five, ten years. Yeah. How how clever do you see Google's artificial intelligence? Is it really intelligent? You know, the great thing, I mean, the, the thing that any artificial intelligence needs is a lot of data, a yeah. lot of data input for the yeah. machine learning. So if you think about the Tesla cars or any of the car big car companies that can collect billions and hundreds of billions and trillions of pieces of data, you know, data per second, right? The, yeah. the data load is tremendous that the cars are uploading uh, to the satellites. For, for all of the algorithms to use. I think it I think it, it is doing a good job. I mean, there's some, we're, we're in the kind of awkward phase of artificial intelligence where mm. you get, you know, you talk to Alexa and sometimes they update Alexa and it seems to understand you less well than it did <laughs> a couple of months ago. Like oh, yeah. the AI is actually going backwards, but that's, I think, part of the, pro part of the process of innovation is, a, you know, three steps forward, one step back sometimes. But I think this artificial intelligence and machine learning and figuring out what people what people value the most based on the behavior that they use from Google to the website that is being referred to, I think is quite good. Do you think the problem with AI is that we're training AI with what's on the internet? And and for one, that's going to be instantly out of date. Uh, and and secondly, it's not always going to be what people are actually really thinking in their heads. Uh, actually, I think the problem with AI is that it develops the bias of the programmers. Sure. Mm. So um, like one of the one of the problems with facial recognition is that most of the people who work in the industry are Caucasian. Yeah. yeah. So they they have more access and more um, comfort with Caucasian pictures. So when they're teaching it how to recognize whether this is John or Eric walking through the airport, they don't have enough pictures of black people or people from different parts of Africa or people from, uh, you know, different parts of Asia or wherever that is. Sure. They don't have enough variety and AI can take on racial bias of the programmers, you know, and yeah. it's, it's most likely unconscious, but it still creates less accuracy for um, black faces than it does for white faces. I think that's a problem. I mean, I hope I hope somebody I hope somebody does a good job of solving that on, on reading reading the faces in an unbiased way. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Do, do you think this works into search as well through Google's algorithms that there is maybe some bias there or, or not? 
Uh, tell me a little bit more about the a bias in terms of what Google thinks is good. Yeah, it's difficult to, to articulate in a way because um, I don't necessarily mean kind of like the big stuff which you would think of instantly, like all the pandemic misinformation or political stuff and things. I'm thinking about basic, simple information like people type in a phrase how do i do this where can i find this is google going to be biased in some way because of its algorithms do you think john i i don't think so i think google has so much data right there's there's a couple trillion searches a year that it it has access to that it can study and that it can go back and review so i i think It'll work out its biases better than almost any other platform out there because of the volume. You said 93% of all the searches in the UK yeah. are going via Google's platform. It has access. It has the ability to correct better than any other entity in the world, doesn't it? Yeah, like you would think. Yeah, you It has hope. the biggest database. It has the biggest knowledge base. And when it starts to see mismatch, I think it'll recognize signals like, uh, bounce back or people are doing the same query over and over they're digging through and that these listings didn't do very well or that a particular listing written in a particular way is not attracting very much traffic and therefore it might be you know less attractive to the audience I think they'll figure those things out so I think I mean every human being you know we're each connected to five six hundred maybe eight hundred you know and if you count LinkedIn maybe two thousand five hundred people yeah. Google's connected to five billion people six billion people and it has it has the best opportunity to be unbiased a better opportunity than any other person or thing i think out there yeah yeah you're right yeah um do you think our content is starting to look the same when i search the web for various different bits and pieces i'm starting to see a very significant pattern in the design and the layout of our content that we're creating there's usually a big title at the top of the page there's a big flash image and then we have some jump links or we have a summary and some jump links and then we have a, a paragraph heading with a short paragraph maybe a graphic and another heading and another short paragraph and another graphic and blah 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 and it sounds like a good page you're, like, you're making yeah. me feel like uh, doing a blog right now john uh, yeah you know they all look the flipping same don't they you you got a you got a hootsuite you got a hubspot you got a mailchimp mm -hmm. you go anywhere mm -hmm. and all their content is the same format and that's because of google isn't it yeah that's probably right there's a standardization but as i've said before google has figured out what's a good user experience so yeah. they're we're doing things that are good for the user that were told to us by Google. We're not doing things that are arbitrarily defined by Google as good. We're not sailing our boat backwards because Google said to, we're sailing our boat, you know, with our sails trimmed the right way because that's the best way to catch the wind. That's the best way to bring the users in. And I, I do agree there's a sameness and there's this war of escalation of, of, con of cadence of yeah. people publishing more and more content. like. Well, you better do more, you know, if you, you're competing with people, you should do a podcast three times a week as opposed to two times or one time, or sure. I should be publishing more blogs in order to get more attention from Google. That that war of escalation is really fatiguing and it's creating it's creating even more content. And I call that the content conundrum, because what we what research shows, Ahref did a one billion, uh, one billion uh, URL study, and they found that 90 some odd percent, almost the percent of people using Google in uh, in UK, 90 something percent of the pages have no 
audience. They have no traffic from <laughs> yes. Google. They're yes. just sitting out there. And it could be 10-year-old, 5-year-old content. It could be products that are you know not currently available. There's a lot of reasons for it. But there's only 20 you know viable slots. So should you make more content? Should you make your content better, which is what you're saying structurally? Yeah. Or should you do things that bring more audience to your content and increase the visibility rather than going from a 300 or a 400 page website to a 900 page website? Should you just get twice as much traffic to those first 400 pages? And that's what we do at Milestone is we help increase that visibility for people to you know use advanced technical techniques to uh, to to map better into the knowledge graph and to show up more. How do you feel about companies kind of creating content, which isn't really anything to do with them, but will get them the right people on their website? Uh, for example, I would I would always point out good old Zapier. I love Zapier. I use it a lot, uh, and it's a it's a great tool. But their content side of it, they'll have a pod, they'll have a post which says like the ten best email clients, for example. And that's not really anything to do with what they do with their automation service. Um, but but they're, yeah. they're, they're trying to pull people in knowing that X percentage of those people that are going to be pulled in by that article might be interested in our product. How do you see, see that type of content? Well, they're playing the content game and they're mm. playing it by the rules, but they're doing it as a media company, right? Like yeah. the, your, your favorite newspaper, you know, your, your BBC program is is promoting content that is broad but attractive to you as a reader i don't know that we need to restrict it you know that it can go into a special section a leisure section a travel section a, a cooking section that it might not do all the time that might not be its core news and bring you know bring traffic uh into essentially you know sell subscriptions sell advertisements keep the circulation numbers up I don't think that that's an unfair game if they play by the rules. And it's so hard to cheat now. It's so hard to do black hat sure. that people that when you see that content, they're doing many many things right. Another one in, that I, I look that comes up a lot for me is Investopedia. You yes. ever see that website? Yeah, I, mean, I I'm do. Looking, yeah. I, I'm thinking of a, some financial con, you know, con, content or concept or something that I want to learn, and I end up reading a lot of Investopedia articles and. You know, I've, I've, I've researched their website. They are a hundreds of millions of, uh, you know, their footprint is in the hundreds of millions of clicks per month uh, sure. in the U.S. But they they must have, you know, hundreds of thousands of good pages that are that are respected by by Google and by by the users like us. Yeah. Where does this sit with the folks who want to experiment a bit because if we're all having to if we're all kind of like creating our content the same because of Google because Google likes this Google likes that um what about the folks out there who want to experiment who want to push the boundaries who want to do something a little bit different who want to try and excite the internet a little bit um they they may not get found ever on Google yeah, I mean, it's Google's party. You come to this party and you want to get traffic from it. Now, what you could do is you can create your own marketplace. You can create your own community. It's a, it's yeah. a big lift, right, to, to create a community at, at this date and time where you're generating content, your users are generating content. You can redefine things, say, the way Reddit has. Sure. Right? Reddit, Reddit is definitely a different kind of uh, yes. platform and forum and journalism. Um, but it's, you know, it, it, I think your opportunity is it, Google controls search. So your opportunity is to innovate on your product or your customer experience or your conversion rather than to say, 
I'm a little bit frustrated that uh, I, I I want to do I want to do a different kind of content. Well, you know, maybe you do content that conforms to Google's guidelines to get people to your website. But on your website, your experience is incredibly interactive. It's incredibly virtual or immersive or, yeah. you know, 3D or whatever that is. You can, you can innovate. I think, you know, in an application, if in a mobile app, I think you have more opportunity. I've been using some mobile apps recently. I'm studying Italian and sure. I downloaded um, seven or eight different apps to test all of them. And they were all so different. The experience and the amount I could learn and study and the pace and the difficulty was so different. And I ended up, you know, I ended up picking one and kind of happily paying the the upgrade fee from after I tested the the free model. And I bought a an application for fifty dollars that allows me to study all the languages in the world for one year. Wow. And tremendous value. And um, you know, I guess Google or or Apple would control, you know, the visibility of that app, but also the community controls that too by the reviews, right? That one showed up in the top ten because it was rated four point seven on uh, on the Play Store. Sure, they're also taking thirty percent of the revenue as well, aren't they? But that's another story, another podcast. Uh, they are, they are. They, 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 that's that's why creating the creating a platform, being the platform that people go to, is uh, is a big big business model. Um, let's talk a little bit about Google Zero Clicks. Um, explain to folks exactly what a zero click search is in Google. Yeah, sure. So when when you do a search, sometimes you can find the answer. Sometimes you're asking a question like, uh, "What's wh where is Wales in in England?" and uh, or "What's the temperature uh, in London?" Yeah, and um, you can see the answer, and that is a zero click search. And Google is trying to provide a more immediate and efficient experience for its users. So as as it gets better, and this goes back to the artificial intelligence of it, it knowing it knowing your question, even if you type it kind of badly, and it providing you the answer, you might see you know uh, you might see the answer, and you might not need to click on it. Now, if you know there's estimates that uh, you know more than half of the searches are zero click. Yeah. But a hundred percent of the traditional newspaper, magazine, and television is also zero click. But sure. you're still getting exposure, you're still getting visibility, you're still getting branding. Um, you know, we never had this argument about radio or a podcast advertisement. Like, are are they? Are, is it getting clicked on? No, it's getting heard, and sure. people are listening to you and me, and maybe we talk about something that they want to go check out. And that that's that opportunity is is still very much there. Now, let me give you a specific example about local search and how powerful it is, whether it's zero click or not. Yeah. Now, in if I'm going to uh, if I'm going to go buy a, a a life jacket for water skiing, and I'm uh, I'm I'm between a couple of stores that I, that I, that might have what I'm looking for, and I look up I look up the address of that store to get the cross street, or I check the hours, or I check the the reviews and ratings, that all of that, and I see two or three stores come up, that has a tremendous influence on where I drive my car to, where I stop, and where I go buy that uh, that life jacket. Yeah, that's that. Did I need to click on it? I actually wasn't even available to click on it because I'm driving. You know, I stop at the light, I check, I see that it's open, I see that it's close, I can figure out where to park, and I can go there. That's a zero-click search that has tremendous value, and it's it's absolutely important that we fight uh, that we fight for good visibility in that zero-click search. So some of the estimates are 50, 60 percent zero-click, but what I find in my research at Milestone is that 
um, with rich media that the click rate is much, much higher. So the way I do the research is I aggregate the top 15, the, the clicks on the top 15 results in a giant basket of like a million keywords and million yeah. searches of, of data that I have. And when you roll all that up on some things, you know, maybe it's 45 or 50% aggregate click through of, of from across the top 15 results and then maybe five, six, 7% for paid. So that would be like, say 57. But for FAQs, when people are looking, when people are truly information searching at the top of the funnel, they're doing a knowledge-based search, then uh, the click, the aggregate click rate is 93%. So that right. means 93 and then 7% uh, you know, paid is 100%, meaning yeah. that the number of clicks equals the number of searches, which is, or the number of searchers, that is a an excellent result. It's an excellent opportunity for people to use FAQs and schemas to get exposure and people click through and they read and they learn, they see your brand name, you know, like you and I both, you talked about a brand, I talked about Investopedia. Yeah. You know, if those had been on a zero click basis, we're still talking about it and they're getting a referral to the audience right now. That's that's branding, that's building That's building uh, awareness and building a company, right? Yeah, I think where, where some folks get a little bit upset about the zero click thing is that it's that Google's basically taken the answer from somebody else who has done the research and then published it and not given them an awful lot of credit uh, in the way of a visitor. Uh, do you think that's too much of a simplistic way of looking at it? Yeah, I mean, there's a little bit of frustration. I think if you're a news provider and you're doing an, mm. you know, the AMP carousel and people would go skimming through your news with and with, you know, and the click the click rate on those would be down in the like 10, 12 percent. So 88 percent of those people would just be reading and really feel like Google is over leveraging your content. But, um, you know, otherwise, I, I think it's I think it's acceptable and uh, I think it's an acceptable opportunity for us. Yeah, you, you mentioned AMP there. Um, do, do you think when we look into the future of, of SEO and what's going to be uh, sort of like the the techniques that we're, that we're going to need to need to get familiar with over the next few years. Do you see more AMP? Do you see more schema? Do you see more technical stuff going on? Yeah, AMP is AMP is. I mean, almost feels like part of the past now. It's about five, six, seven years it is, ago. Isn't it? it was yeah. it was yeah. defined as a markup, and I think AMP should be rejuvenated. What what my research shows is that. Uh, ninety-four percent of websites are not using AMP versions. They don't have the AMP markup. Sure. And what AMP really helps you do is get core vitals right. It helps you make the page lean and fast and easy to crawl. So AMP is a good opportunity. Google's being really careful about how strongly it's promoting AMP because it's worried. You know, there's some pressure that it not create anti uh, anti-competitive practices by yeah. saying you should use the markup that we like. If you don't use the markup we like you won't get any exposure. Whereas the way they're saying it is if you use AMP markup, um, you'll indirectly get a benefit. You'll get you'll get a, essentially a reward over equivalent content. So all other things being equal, sites that use AMP are gonna perform better and they're gonna get a higher rank. So I, I think everybody should do it. It's not terribly difficult. I mean, it is a lot of work. You're essentially creating another version of the website. Yeah. You have your, you essentially have your your desktop website, your mobile website, and your AMP website, and they all have to kind of be programmed and QA'd uh, to be to to be performing. Yeah, there was uh, the folks were preaching the death of AMP a few months ago, weren't they? Because Google had, had done something. I don't, I don't. One of the yeah. rumors out there. Do you, do you think it's you think it's still there? It's 
Oh yeah, I do. I, I, you know, everybody loves to write that clickbaity article that something <laughs> is dead. You know, that that gets us all to read it. Like, oh, is it dead? So I can let me let me read this article and then I can never think about it again. <laughs> and AMP, what what they said was, AMP is not required. It was actually giving AMP more life. What they said a couple of months ago was, you are not required to use AMP to show up in the news carousel because they're yeah. worried about anti-competitive practices. Sure. Yeah. And so what it does is it opens up the carousel to, for, for a news provider, for a media company to those that don't use AMP. So it's actually, um, you know, it's actually less restrictive. And rather than being dead, it's giving an advantage. Uh, it, it still gives an advantage in the page performance, in the customer experience, like we talked about before, that Google is aligned behind that good, fast customer experience and that good, fast crawler experience to get indexed. Now, John, another another thing you you asked about was schemas. Yeah, and I was going to say schema. Yeah, schema markup is a lot harder. It's a, it's a, it's a lot more complex than AMP. AMP it has a, a fairly narrow set of markup that you need to do on your images and your text, and you lean you make the page more lean. But schemas have um, eight hundred and forty different schema types, and each of them, and then there's about twelve hundred, fourteen hundred properties within all those types. So an example would be an apartment rental company that has a, a really nice looking page that's featuring you know a beautiful place to live with a beautiful gardens and common areas and and close to the restaurants and pubs and in in addition to that they want to add a lot of technical information about uh the the square footage or the pet policy or the kid policy yeah um or the room size or the layout or the flow or um you know compliance with fire laws and safety and you know they could add a whole bunch of information that would make the page very cluttered if they you know it would change the the design of the page sure but what what you can do with schema is you you add that information for the crawler and the crawler understands it and understands each of the entities that it is associated with which part of the apartment or the building or the community or you know the 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 price or the payment terms all those things and Google stores that in the knowledge graph. So when there's a very specific long tail query that you have added, you've essentially doubled or tripled the amount of information on the page without making the page utterly cluttered. And what Milestone finds is that companies that, particularly local local businesses that, that use schema markup see 20 to 40% increase in visibility and traffic within about three months of deploying right. it. Right. Google understands your site better. You're making you're you're becoming more intelligible to Google, and it's rewarding you by sh letting you show up in more places, particularly through with FAQs, uh, product information that really helps Google find the right answer for the audience. Would this not lead to more zero clicks, though? Yeah, it might. Yeah. It might. But if you're looking for an apartment, let's say, yeah. and you find and you find the the all the keywords you put in like i'm looking for an apartment that's close to shopping and close to public transportation and though there's many apartments in london or new york that that fit that bill one of them has done a really good job of being the right answer and because you're looking for an apartment it's a, it's not an informational search it's a transactional search at this point sure. this particular example so yes you get the right answer like that building is is the building I'm looking for, but then you're going to go visit that building. Either you go directly physically or you go digitally and check it out and go on a virtual tour. So more zero click searches, but again, it's not 100% zero click searches. If it's 50%, you'd rather be in uh, all the zero click searches and get half the traffic than be in none of the zero click searches and get none of the traffic, right? You're still yeah, yeah. way ahead on free traffic.
Yeah. So, so where do you see SEO going? Do you see it going down a more technical route? Do you think, because uh, I would very much like to see SEO, the, the whole world of SEO, split completely. Because I think now we've reached a point where writing content is not SEO. Writing content is a copywriter's job. They should do research. They should look for keywords uh, and, and do all that research of intent and all that sort of thing. Um, you, you look at speed and website speed. That should be a web designer. <laughs> That should be a web developer. Yeah. Do, yeah, you know, do you see everything? And do you see the SEO role becoming the schema, the AMP, the more technical things in the future? You know, one of the things, one of the themes, one of the speeches I've given is that SEO is not a channel. It's mm. your website. It's your experience. Mm. And if you get your digital experience right, you, it means your content, your images, your video, your rich media, your performance, your tagging, your schema, your AMP, your mobile, get all those things right and you get rewarded with more visibility. So... Where do I see it going? I see the SEO's job getting somewhat more difficult. Um, mm -hmm. And I, as, as the AI gets smarter, it does become more about the content. It does become more about becoming the right answer. Who has the right answer for this query? Google will uh, do a better and better job of figuring that out. And then all other things being equal, the one with schema, the one with FAQs, the one uh, with AMP, the one with the better uh, core vitals, that site is going to be in the top three or four. So it becomes more technical at the same time, it becomes more thematic, it becomes more conceptual, it becomes more qualitative, both of these things. And that's maybe that's Google with the 10,000 PhDs driving these things with the algorithm, uh, driving, you know, driving those things forward for us. It, it's, it's both more qualitative and quantitative because it's AI, because it's becoming more human-like. Google looks at a website and it, it knows which is the better website now. It didn't yeah. always know. It didn't. Sure. You know, it used to be able no, to no, put no. up some title tags and an H1 and you'd do really well, even though your, your content on the rest of the page was garbage. That's not true anymore. Google really could probably sort which is the best page, you know, as well as a, a 10th grader probably at this point with its AI. Do you think the role of the all-in-one SEO person is disappearing now. Do you think that can go where the SEO is a great web designer, they're a great graphic artist, they're a fantastic copywriter, they're an amazing technician? Yeah, I definitely agree with you that it's not one person. It's no. uh, it's 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 half the people involved in the website need yeah. to have a hand or a finger in SEO to get it right. You you need you need all the people you just mentioned and, and a couple of more. You know the the people who run uh, the network and the CDN and. Uh, you know, the people who keep the uptime, um, the experience, the designers, the people who figure out the menus, the product people, uh, all those people have to come together to get the digital experience right. And Google re will re reward that. So where do you see the future with Google search? Where do you see Google going in the future? More of this zero click stuff, more ads. They're rewriting our title tags, apparently. That's the big, the latest big kerfuffle on the internet yeah is, they've been doing is, that for yeah. years i've been i've yeah. been seeing that you know i've been seeing yeah. my title tags being being uh being altered Changed, yeah. uh, for three or four years it sounds like it's going to affect about 20 percent of searches now i mean i mean do you, do you see that horrible dystopian thing that we see on all those sci-fi movies where you've got your one little semi-transparent tablet and you log on to the only provider there is which is google and you get everything through that everything to do with your life 
is through that um, one provider. Do no, you see I that? I don't now? think so. I, I think, you know, there's, 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 there's a pendulum swing between concentration and fragmentation. Yeah. And we're starting to see a lot of vertical search. Like, think about how powerful Amazon is sure. for, for, as a search yeah. engine. Yeah. There, there are more shopping searches on Amazon than there are on Google by, sure. by a pretty good measure, probably by two or three or four X. And they're very transactional, very high value. But you don't need you don't need Google to help you find something on Amazon. You go no. to Amazon because that brand is established and its its search is useful and helpful. You know, even uh, you know things like uh, Yelp and TripAdvisor and Find Law and dating sites. You don't go to Google to find your <laughs> your future spouse. No. You go to an app, right? You go to a site that that does yeah, other yeah, things yeah. that has has a different algorithm. So. I don't see it becoming so insanely concentrated. Um, I do see it becoming harder to affect in the short term. And that's why I, we keep talking about the right experience, the right content, uh, the, you know, providing a lot of value, providing a lot of answers. And, you know, if you think about all websites and everything we do in particularly B2B marketing, we are a publisher, right? You're a, you're, you're yes. a, essentially a radio broadcaster. I'm yeah. essentially, you know, I'm producing little TV shows when I do a webinar. I'm producing sure. research papers and, and we're both, we both magazines when we do blogs. We have to produce that content and we have to give it away for free. And this yes. is something that the traditional media people have been going back and forth on. How much do they give away for free and where do they put the paywall? Yeah. New York Times sends me these amazing, um, these amazing emails and I can read the email and I'm really reading an article. But if I click on one more layer down, I hit the paywall sure. that I'm supposed to, I'm supposed yeah. to buy some, um, I'm supposed to buy my New York Times subscription to keep reading. We're, we're doing the same thing here. Like, where do I put the, the form fill? If you, you know, here's, here's, here's half of the research I'm doing. But if you want to read about um, FAQs or schemas at milestoneinternet.com, you can go to my resources section and you can, you can read a bunch of it, but you want to read everything and get all the images. Well, you're going to fill out the form. You can get the form fill and I'll send yeah. it to you. Yeah. Then we've got, you, you, you've exchanged something to me. And that's, as a publisher, this is something I have to do. I have to give away a, a good amount for free to please Google, to get visibility, to you have to, you and I are giving away our content right now as we speak to the audience. Sure. And then we both need to grow our businesses. We both need to, uh, you know, we both need to have some business and, and transactional information. I think that's the, that's the, the pendulum swing back and forth that we'll be doing. And I don't think there, I think, producing really good content and being really great and authoritative, being a great publisher is really the winning formula in the coming years. And the technical stuff is sort of table stakes. Yeah. But if you don't do the technical stuff, equi things equivalently good publishers will outperform you. Yeah, I totally agree. I think, I think thinking of ourselves as publishers is, is quite important. It gives you, it's a slightly different mindset, I think. It is. You, you can't just you can't just do a blog, right? You need to no. publish an online magazine, sure, and, and you know, and and then include the rich media too, and include yeah. some podcasts and some yeah. videos and yeah. some short videos and some longer format for people on the commute or people who want to listen to a thirty-minute podcast. Yeah, fascinating. Listen, thanks ever so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Where can we find you? Where's your website? Social media bits and pieces. Where can folks get in touch? 
Yeah, so we, uh, I work for milestoneinternet.com, and uh, if you're interested in some of the reports uh, I've talked about in some of the interactive media I've developed to give you examples of things that do that Google um, all, is also interested in in the rich media, you can go to milestoneinternet.com slash resources, and we are having a digital summit that is free and virtual, so people all around the world cool. can listen to it live on September 14th and 15th. Um, and if you aren't able to join us live, then you can uh, get all the content on demand. If you go to uh, Resources Engage Conference, you can find me on LinkedIn at LinkedIn slash Eric Newton, E-R-I-K-N-E-W-T-O-N. And if you're interested in my book on how to get promoted within a corporation, you can find my book, Hack the Corporate Fast Track, on Amazon uh, and uh, give it a search. And uh, I just gave Amazon uh, the search engine a plug there to find <laughs> that book. Yeah, absolutely. Eric, listen, I'll leave links to all of that in the show notes so folks can just tap on them straight away and, and go straight there. Um, listen, thanks ever so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thanks, John. Great speaking with you. Thanks again to Eric for his time. Now, don't forget to check out all the links in the show notes. If you've enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe for more. There's lots more, over 100 episodes. Just search for Not Another Marketing Podcast. Thanks for listening.